listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. And so this morning, we're going to pick up at verse 8 of Romans chapter 1. Uh, We'll get through about seven verses today. And so I would like to read the passage and then pray. Martin Luther always said every time he gets up to preach or to teach, he's absolutely afraid and terrified. And I want you to know that feeling is very true. It's it's humbling. You want to handle God's word rightly and you want to be used by God. He goes on to say that we do this leaning heavily upon God's grace to enable us what we could never, ever do. We're not to imitate, we're not here for applause, but we do it heavily leaning on Him so that He receives all the honor and glory. He goes on to say, if you can't preach an hour, which don't worry, he says preach 30 minutes, if you can't preach 30 minutes, quarter of an hour is totally fine. So we'll hit somewhere in the middle. So let's read and then we will pray. Beginning of verse 8, it says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged By each other's faith, both yours and mine, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under no obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, this morning we do come before you, and Lord, we are glad that we can gather as your people to sing truth about who you are, to encourage one another, and to open up your scriptures. Thank you for inspiring and protecting and bringing us your word of how we can know you and how we are to rightly respond to you. And I pray that you would use the scriptures this morning to teach us, that you would give us eyes to see the truth, ears to hear it, minds to understand it, and hearts to believe it. Lord, we need your help this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In 1936, a a man named Thomas Reed, who I'd never heard of, you've probably never heard of, he wrote an essay titled, An Essay on the Intellectual Powers of of man. And I've never read it, you've probably never heard of it, but in this essay, he had to have no idea the impact that this essay would have on people for hundreds of years later. Many don't remember his essay or his name, but there is a phrase that he's given credit for that everyone has heard and then has been applied to all kinds of things in life. And one day he wrote the words, a chain is no stronger than its weakest link. 
And man, we have applied that to so many things, to churches, to teams, to organization. Then a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And so in just several months, about a year from now, we're about to enter into the Olympic season. So let's just say for hypothetical reasons, they're going to put together the all-time swimming um, relay team of all time. One they're going to have to bring back from the dead, but let's say they could do that. You know, we know Michael Phelps is going to be there, Ryan Lotte, Mark Spitz, and a man named Matthew Biondi. I mean, the most com- accomplished U.S. swimmers of all time. And let's just say they're getting ready, building that team, and I don't know what a swimmer would do. I guess they can pull a hamstring or something like that. But one of them is out. And I'm their only option. Now, the confidence in that team has now drastically decreased. Now, I understand that. Well, first of all, you're never going to see me in one of those swimsuits. But let's just say I'm the only option, if they're going to continue on, that I get put in. Well, there's two ways we can go about this thing. One, I've got nine months, and I can set out. And I can swim every single day. And I probably would get a little bit better. Nothing to their level, but I would hopefully improve. Or, for the next nine months, those guys could be there with me each and every day, teaching me all that they know. Share with me from their experience, from what they've learned, drawing on all that they know about the art of swimming. And I promise you, I would be much better if these guys took an interest I would be a stronger swimmer or more efficient if they would take the time to share all that they had, all that they did in helping me come about to be a better swimmer. And believe it or not, that's what Paul is saying this morning. You're going to hear Paul say in a lot of different words, this is what you'll hear him say. You'll hear him say, as we help others grow, we grow. As we invest in other people and we focus and we do all that we can for them, in the miracle of it all, we find that we actually then are the ones that benefit and we grow also. But to see this, we're going to have to go to the end of this passage, see why he's setting this up, and then we will walk back through. So look at verse 15. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, that's a little bit odd because think about who he's writing to. He's writing to these house churches in Rome, made up of believers. So why would Paul say, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you? Well, one of the ideas is going to be, why is he doing this? It has to do with the churches that are now in Rome. These churches most likely started in the day of Pentecost. People were probably there. They heard the gospel. They responded. And it's true. All roads lead to Rome. Everyone wanted to go there. So there were people that heard this, they responded, they traveled, they go to Rome, and these house churches began. But they were not started under kind of the guidance of an apostle. There was no uh, apostolic foundation for these churches. So the one idea is Paul's just saying, hey, I want to go, I want to be there, I want to kind of set a firm foundation for these churches. And that could definitely be part of it. But I think it's more than that. So why does Paul want to preach the gospel to believers? Well, I think it's because Paul is not referring, not only referring to the first preaching 
around the gospel. He's not referring to the preaching the gospel that calls an individual to make an initial decision to follow or to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because, look at verse 5. He tells us why he's wanting to come, why he is writing this. He doesn't say so that you will initially believe, even though we know that is part of what Paul, he says, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. But in verse 5 he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. See, Paul does not believe that his work as an apostle is accomplished or complete unless a church that is made up of a bunch of individuals is established and it's persevering. So Paul's goal is not to just preach the gospel so that people will believe, even though that is a major component. It begins there, but that's not all. He hopes to see people continue in obedience of the faith. So what Paul is saying, he's saying hopefully when he comes to them, the gospel is not just something to believe to gain eternal life. The gospel is the message that they need to hear and we need to hear over and over and over again because it impacts everything that we are and everything that we are to do in life. So he wants to see people come to faith, but he also wants to see them continue in the faith and grow. And so we've often said it as believers, as Christians, we are never to move beyond the gospel. That's not elementary. And then we get moved up to the JV. We are never to move beyond the gospel. We move deeper and deeper into it. So that's why Paul is writing. That's why he is wanting to come to them. So now go back to verse 8. He's writing to them and he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. It's interesting, he says, first thing he wants them to know is, I care about each and every one of you. He expresses his love through his prayers, and he's not leaving anyone out. Everyone. Everyone that is there, he is praying, he is thankful for them. It doesn't matter how important they are, it doesn't matter what office they might hold, it doesn't matter what value they have, whether the talents or gifts or experiences He says, people matter to God, so they matter to me. And then notice why he's thankful for them. He's not thankful because they're supporting him, even though we'll get to that later on. He is thankful for them for their faith. But notice, not just that they have faith. He's thankful that their faith is being talked about all over the Roman Empire. In fact, he is full of gratitude because of this. Paul is seeing a promise played out and lived out and fulfilled right in front of him. He has a front row seat. He's thinking back to the promise that God made to Abraham that through him all the nations would be blessed. And it's being fulfilled right in front of Paul's eyes and he is absolutely grateful. And I've really, it's kind of struck a chord with me this week as I've been Thinking through last week and the message and all those sort of things, a lot of self-loathing goes on during the week. That's just part of it. But thinking about it, you know, I stood and I said, man, when people talk about this place of Bethel Bible Church in White House, selfishly, I want to be the biggest church and all that sort of stuff, and I confess that. But you know, the greatest thing that people could say about this church 
is not how great the people are, even though I would say they're the best you'll ever find. The best thing people could talk about would be our faith. Like you ought to hear those people pray. You should hear how they interact with each other. You should see how they serve inside and outside the church that they would talk about our faith. So the first thing that Paul wants them to know is that he has been praying and giving thanks for them that are in Rome. He's thankful not just that they know Jesus. He's thankful that their faith is being talked about all over Rome. And then another thing I've been thinking about this week, that I think one of the most neglected parts of ministry, and probably even heard somebody say one day, it's probably the most often told lie by Christians, is I'll pray for you. And a guy texted me last night, and I knew, man, I needed to do it right then, or I was going to forget, or I'd get too busy. But I'm reminded that Paul is saying that the real work of ministry starts with prayer. And all that we ever do as believers, it doesn't matter what it is, getting kids ready for school this week, stepping into that job, stepping into a place of ministry, all that we do should have a mindset of prayer behind it because that keeps us dependent upon the only one that can truly bring the help. And so in fact, all of ministry that we do in and through this church, it should start with prayer. So listen to Chuck Swindoll. He, he, uh, such a wordsmith. He said, ministry does not grow out of a life of prayer. It's like fruit on an artificial tree where there is no life and there is no real fruit. And that is the place where it all starts. And Paul knows that. He is living that. So after he expresses his thanks, he continues. He goes on in verse 9 to say, For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son, without ceasing. I'm mentioning you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. And this is a very crucial verse if we think about how this actually gets fulfilled. Paul's praying that by God's will, he wants to come and to be there and to see these people and to minister there in Rome. And he uses the word succeed. It means to prosper in a way that turns out well. You know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean to be led down an an easy path or an easy road. Because on paper, Paul has got a great business plan. He's got a great ministry plan. His plan is, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. He's in Corinth. He's going to take some money back, encourage the church there, receive some support. He's got a little theological matter that he needs to kind of deal with there in the church. He'll get their blessing. And he'll travel to Rome and then on to Spain. And that's a fantastic ministry plan. In fact, it's what Paul's focus of his prayer is. And there's no reason to doubt that this was not how Paul felt the Spirit was leading him. I think it's evident when you read his prayer. He wanted to go and to be there and to minister to these people. But you know, that's not how it turned out. In fact, Paul will finally make it to Rome. We'll see that later on. But it's not at all how he expected. He doesn't even show up a free man. You know how he gets to Rome? He gets to Rome in chains as a prisoner. He's beaten. He's almost killed. He'll survive a terrible storm at sea. He'll be shipwrecked. 
stranded on a remote island and even bit by a poisonous snake. All on his way to Rome. But he wants them to know that in the delays of him coming is not a lack of desire. He is willing to endure all of this. And I believe if he knew it, he would still go through it all to be there in Rome. But he's showing that he cares. He hasn't forgotten about them. I think also it's important to see that, as Adam mentioned, in the waiting season of life, isn't that hard? When we feel like God is leading us and wanting to do something, we find ourselves in this period where nothing seems to be moving in that direction. But the waiting is not a waste of time. Paul is taking every advantage of this time to pray. But you know, to me, the most amazing thing about this is that when you read this about Paul, this is how I picture him. I picture him as a short, stocky, kind of burly man. I mean, he is leathery from all the time out in the sun. I mean, he's got scars on his face and probably some broken, crooked fingers that are evidence of someone that had been stoned Beaten. That picture, he doesn't seem like the most approachable man. He's tough. Feared by so many. Intense. But then you read his letters, and he has such a heart for these people. The most amazing thing is, he's never even met them. He's got a heart for a people that he doesn't even know, and only the gospel can do that. So then Paul tells him why he so desperately wants to see them begin in verse 11. He says, I long to see you. And he wants them to know that. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift. And we don't know exactly what Paul is referring to. He could be referring to the idea of bringing the spiritual gifts there. You read about them in 2 Corinthians 12. You'll see them in Romans 12 then maybe he wants to bring them the spiritual gift because no apostle has been there to establish these churches. But another answer is that Paul wants to use the spiritual gifts that he has. In 2 Timothy chapter 1.11, he talks about the gifts of preaching and of apostleship and teaching. But regardless of the gift, that isn't the most important thing. Whatever the gift is, it's the motive behind it because look at what he says that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Then no matter what the gift is, the motivation behind this is that it is not a selfish one. It's to be used for their benefit on their behalf. Because here's what Paul has come to know and to believe, that living a life for Christ is learning to die to yourself. That's the only way that this works. That Paul wants his life, in fact, he will say, to be poured out as an offering for other people. Paul wants whatever he has, as little or as much as it might be, to be used to strengthen other believers. He wants his gifts, his talents, his resources, whatever it might be, to be for their benefit. And then we have to stop and think. Man, is that how I view things? That we need to see all that God has given us. Experiences, talents, strengths, resources. They're not meant for me. They're not meant for you. They're meant for other people. So I want to ask you a question. How are you being used by God to strengthen the faith of others? As we think about that, I don't think the answer is 
Somebody said, listen, I, I really don't need to be, I don't want to be used. If you didn't want to be used, I don't think you would want to be here. I think the more obvious answer that we often say, at least in our heads, is that I really don't have much to offer. Man, I, I don't know much scripture. Or, man, I don't pray like I think other people do. I, I just don't know much. I don't have much experience. I mean, if you really knew how my life was during the week, I just don't think that I could really be used in that way. And I need you to know all of those thoughts are lies straight from Satan himself. So if you want to be used, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. So Paul wants them to know he is coming to strengthen them. And then he says one of the most profound things in this passage, because up until this point, Paul has said, I'm praying for you. He said, I want to come and see you. I'm thankful for your faith and your testimony. But then in verse 12, you see something very different. In verse 12, it says, that is, man, I want to come to you with these gifts to strengthen you, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And I find some great comfort in this, knowing that the great Apostle Paul is one that even needed his faith encouraged, his faith strengthened. That he needed other people to bring that to him. That he wants to come and he wants to be used by God and he realizes what happens. When he does that, he actually receives an incredible benefit that his faith is strengthened, his faith is encouraged. Because you see, there's kind of two ways we can approach ministry in church. One way, it says we show up to a place and we go around and we think, well, I wonder what this church has for me. And we create our list of, of kind of haves and haves not. I need this. I don't want that. And then we might go to different places and we kind of see who matches up. And Well, this one's got most of this or that. Okay, I, we can deal with this and, and we step into a place. And we create these lists of expectations. But I can promise you, there's never a church that's going to meet every single one of them. And oftentimes it's what happens when a church can't meet those. We will hold a church in contempt and we will move on. But a much more healthier, more biblical way in any church, whether you go here or somewhere else, and if you're going, uh, you're visiting today and you're going somewhere, take this back to where you are there. And say, okay, we're here. How might God want to use me. What does God want me to bring to this church? And that's a much healthier way to view church because here's what Paul is saying. When I come to you to be used by God to strengthen your faith, then the great thing is I'm going to find my faith strengthened as well. And you know, the people that I've met that are most satisfied and love their church are those that come with the mindset, you know what, I am coming here to die to myself. I'm coming to live for other people. I'm here to strengthen other people's faith. I want to be an agent of grace in someone's life. And then the process is what happens is they find life. They find they're encouraged and they're strengthened and they find their faith growing. So let me put some kind of flesh on these bones for just a moment. Thinking this week of kind of got three areas as I think through this. And, you know, one of the top two reasons that people will leave a church, probably at the top of the list, people will say, I just don't know anybody or, or I'm not connected. I mean, that's honestly the truth. If people are coming, in fact, if you're coming here 
if you don't get connected, it won't be long to where this isn't enough. I believe that's how God has designed us. We say it like this, that everyone needs a place to be known and to know others. We think that's biblical. So we have things like life groups and men's Bible studies and women's Bible studies. On Sunday mornings, we've got an adult connections class and children's Bible studies and Club 45 and youth. And youth will start meeting again on Wednesday night. So if you have not found a place to connect, I strongly urge you to do that. Clint talked earlier about life groups, and that's a great place to really get with some messy, screwed up people and you'll find such a blessing there. But find a place to connect. But then, if you are, say you're connected, and I want us to be careful of our mindset, because if we're not careful, we can get into this place where we're just doing this thing that is just rinse and repeat. Same thing over and over and over again. So this year with life groups and Bible studies, go in it with a different mindset. Going with it prayerfully, going, God, would you show me someone in this group? Somebody in this group that you want to use me to reach out to? Who might I need to invite in my home? Who do I need to be an encouragement to this year? Because if you go into a mindset of wanting to be used in other people's lives, you will find a much greater blessing than just going into it expecting to receive something. But another thing is the idea of serving. I believe God doesn't want anyone just to sit on the sidelines and just observe ministry going on around them, that God wants to use absolutely everyone. That's why Paul includes everyone in his prayer. So if you want to grow and you want your, your faith strengthened, you know how not to do it? The way it doesn't happen is only by focusing on you. That'll never happen. That'll never be enough. The only way you find your faith strengthened and it growing is by focusing on other people. And there are all kinds of opportunities, too many to mention. Or nursery, preschool, greeting, all around ways of getting involved in serving. And so here's a promise I can make to you. If you go into any kind of ministry, a small group, an act of service with a mindset that is prayerful, says, God, I want you to use me for the benefit of others, not for myself. I promise you, you will receive much more than you'll ever give. But it all begins with that mindset that Paul has. But here's one that anyone and everybody can do. Another way for every single one of us to be used by God is to make this church the friendliest and the most welcoming that we can. In fact, just last week, we got a new family come in. I got to meet. I had to kind of wait in line, which that's great. One of our faithful families went up and met them, got to know them, got to know their children a little bit, didn't know them before this morning, invited them to stay for lunch, and they did. I got to text on that Sunday afternoon. And for them to write back going, man, we've been around. They're just moving to town from uh, out of state. They said, man, that was the most, one of the most welcoming churches I've ever been in. Because you know what? If that doesn't happen, we will never get the opportunity to invest and to encourage and to strengthen them. So everyone can do something like that. Next week, meet someone you don't know. Or maybe you barely know them. Go up and introduce yourself. Find out a little bit about them. 
Youth is about to start back. Can you imagine how different and how powerful a youth group would be if they went into this, not looking what they could get out of it, but looking and going into it saying, you know what, I want God to use me. I know I'm only 14, but that doesn't matter. That I want to be used to make someone else feel welcome, for someone else to find a place to belong. Sit in a different place. Each and every week. And do it to look around and go, you know, I, I think I might know them. I recognize their face. But get to know them in that way. Or you really want to be bold? Invite someone to lunch. I'm not talking somebody that you know. I'm talking somebody that you don't know that much. Invite them into your home for dinner. Put yourself out there and trust God to use you. And then we return where we started. Look at verse 13. But I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that have often intended to come to you. And how many times has Paul said that? He wants them to not doubt his desires. There are false teachers trying to discredit Paul. And over and over, he wants them to know he is wanting and desiring to come, praying that God would move heaven and earth to bring him there. In order that I may come and reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under no obligation, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel again and again and again to you also who are in Rome. So what does he have in mind with the harvest? He means individuals coming to faith in Christ, and that should absolutely be part of it. You're going to hear some men in just a minute stand up and affirm that they want to be about that. The harvest is also helping believers grow in their faith. And that's the responsibility of each and every believer. And it's the harvest is also watching other people live their lives for the benefit of other people. And Paul says, listen, I know I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, but I'm in it for the Jew and the Gentile, the Roman, the Greek, absolutely everyone. So I think the statement is true. A chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And there are people all around us that are feeling weak and they're struggling and they are in desperate need of encouragement. And I believe that we all have this calling that God has placed in our life that each and every one of us are here for a reason. And that reason is to build each other up, not to focus on ourselves, but to strengthen one another's faith. But the truth is when you focus and you help others grow, you realize that your faith is strengthened in the process because that's the only way for your, your faith to grow. And then we begin to realize as we help others grow, we grow. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.